Well, we've been um, doing our Easter, um, our Easter series here, and, and we've talked about how um, Jesus came and just how profound it is that we serve a God who came seeking after us, a, a God who did for us what was impossible for us to do, that he came and sought us out, and he sought out a relationship and made a way that we might have a relationship with him. He came, and he walked among us, and he loved, and he loved well, and he became a, just a visible uh, example to us of how to live, how to be fully human as we walk the earth and what that looks like. And, and he loved, and, and Jesus, we saw that he, he reached out to those who were marginalized. He reached out to the, to the edge of, of those who were on the, on the outskirts, on the perimeters, those who were cast outs and those who were, who were pushed away, that Jesus reached out to them and he pulled them in and he loved them. And today, we are going to talk about this interesting prayer that he prayed. Um, the prayer and the text is going to be John chapter 17, <clears throat> the whole of that chapter. And this chapter is, is a really um, just a unique look into a prayer that Jesus prayed. Now, we have the Lord's Prayer, but that was Jesus telling us how to pray. This prayer is an insightful prayer into uh, this, this relationship, this triune relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and, and we see some unique insight into the relationship between the Father and the Son. So let's read through it. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. <clears throat> and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people who you gave me out of the world, yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they came and have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one, while I was with them. I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me in the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself so that they may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only but also for those who will believe through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, 
that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, and see my glory, that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So, in this world, we're all seeking for kind of some some main points of life. And those main points really look like origin. Where do we come from? Identity. Who am I? Purpose. Why am I here? And destiny. Where am I headed? And the whole world really is is seeking after these things. The whole world is really looking and trying to, to find meaning and purpose in this life. And it doesn't matter really what your faith system is or what what belief system you might uh, ascribe to. These main points of life are something that we all basically have to just deal with and look into. This prayer is a privilege looked into into the relationship that the Father and the Son have together. Verses one through five are basically kind of a prayer that Jesus has for himself um, with the Father, a dialogue between the Father and the Son. And so it starts out like this. Jesus spoke these things, and raising his eyes to to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. So, all of chap- the early chapter of John is, is dealing with this idea that Jesus is saying, hey, well, my, my hour has not yet come. And they tried to catch him, and, 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 but his hour had not yet come. And he escaped them for his hour had not yet come. But this prayer begins with the idea that Jesus is saying, the hour has come. It's here. My purpose and the reason that I have come is here. And it is at hand. And so there's a request that says, glorify me that I might glorify you. Kind of shine the light on me, Father, that I might shine the light back on you, on who you are. This glory, it's renown. It's the manifestation of God to people. It's what makes God famous, and it's what draws people to himself. God's glory is this thing. We, we, sometimes we look at it and we're like, what's up with this glory and stuff? Is it is it just prideful? Is it ego? Is it, what, what is it with God? But, but we know certainly that God is not prideful. As a matter of fact, when we look into the, the way that Jesus entered into this world, who he is, what he possesses, but yet how he came, how he walked humbly in this world, that he's the king, he owns the earth and all that it contains, yet he just allowed himself to be born into really poverty, right? Um, in a stable, basically in a, in a manger, a grain, a place where grain was, was put for the animal, the bread of heaven born into basically a granary. What a picture this is. And, and, and so we know that Jesus continually humbled himself. He, he holds all power, yet he emptied himself. So this isn't a prideful thing. This is a, this is a right thing. This idea of God's glory is something that God has had for all eternity past within himself himself. 
It's a picture of the relationship that God has within himself, always deferring glory and placing glory upon the other, always deference to the other. This kind of dance, this dance of the Trinity that we'll, we'll look in and we'll talk a little bit more about. Verse two, just as you gave him authority over all mankind, so that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So his job, his thing, is to take the people that God has given him and to give eternal life to them. And what is eternal life? It's knowing both the Father and the Son. Not just knowing about them, not just reading our Bible, not just coming to church on Sunday, but a full-on knowing of who they are. Remember, Jesus said this. He said, John 14, 6, no one comes to the Father, right? He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me, right? He's our access point. He is what's given that we might have relationship to the Father. He is our He, he is our. Uh, He's the one who intercedes for us that gives us eternal life. And there is no other way. I glorified you on earth by accomplishing the work which you have given me to do. And now you, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world has come. So Jesus glorifies the Father by accomplishing the work, by doing the work that God gave him to do. Remember, Jesus in his ministry is saying, I do the things that the Father is doing. I, I'm, I'm in harmony. I'm in relationship with the Father, and I am doing, we are co-participants um, in creation. We are co-participants in redemption and in this world. And so he is doing the things that the Father is doing, and that brings glory back to God. This is the call to us as well. Matthew 5.16 says, your light must shine before people in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We've been brought into this deal even through our works, and our works are intended to be a means to bring glory, to bring fame, to bring recognition, to bring renown to this great God and to point people to him. So when people say, well, what do you got? And why do you do some of the things you do? We point them to this great God that we serve. Verses 6 through 19 becomes a prayer to Jesus' disciples that he uh, chose out of this world. And, and certainly we, there's some application to us, but it opens up a little bit later more for us. It says, I have revealed your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have followed your word. Now they have come to know that everything which you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them, and they received them, and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. Again, it's this idea, I revealed your name to men that you gave me out of the world. The Greek word here is onoma, and it is not just a name. It's not just knowing somebody's name casually like we tend to know it. It's not just knowing this name, but the name is used for everything which the name covers. 
Everything the thought or the feeling of which is aroused in the mind by mentioning, hearing, and remembering the name. It is for one's rank, authority, interests, pleasure, command, excellencies, deeds, etc. This is about an intimate knowing. And a name is this idea and it's a representation of identity and who we are. And when we truly don't just know someone's name, but we know um, intimately things about them and their life and who they really are, that is the very nature and the rendering of relationship. And so Jesus is telling them, I've given this your name to men who you gave me out of the world. And they followed your word. Remember, it's this word that God has given us. It's his word that, that God has given us. It's this word that he's given us for, for a good life, to create a good society, to, uh, to lead lives that honor and glorify him. Everything which is given is given from me to you. 17 times in this prayer, the word give or given is, using, is used. It's, it's this constant picture of you gave and they were yours, but they were mine and then I gave them back. And then it's just, it's just this beautiful harmony, this dance that is going on. Verse nine, I ask on their behalf. I did not ask on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you have given me because they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer going to be in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, so that they may be one, just as we are one. This thing is, is mine, is yours, and yours is mine, and glorify me that I might glorify you, and I've been glorified in them. What, a, what a, just a picture. I want you to start to get a hold of and recognize what you've been pulled into, what you've been purchased into, that, that we literally, <clears throat> if you're in Christ, that you have been taken and translated out of a kingdom of darkness and placed into a kingdom of light. You've been brought into the very Godhead itself. And it's a complete and total mystery. But he's asking that we might be one, that we might be unified with them the way that they are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them. And not one of them perished except the son of destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled, that Jesus was, he was guarding them, that he was keeping them safe, and that ultimately there was a reality, though, that there was a scripture, there was a prophecy that would be fulfilled, that one would turn and one would reject him. But now, I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I've given them your word, and the, word has, the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. So Jesus speaks these words into the world. Why? Because the world isn't always a pleasant place. And the very concept of joy tells us that we could be okay, 
that if our hope is set in the right place, if we understand our position, if we understand the reality of who we are and where we're seated, that we are positionally perfect with God right now, that we are wholly blameless beyond reproach, that, 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 the, that the creator of the universe has purchased us with his own blood, that he's bought us, that he, is, that, that he um, has, has joined us into relationship with himself. And because of this, because this isn't our home, because these struggles aren't ours, because the difficulty of today isn't forever, we can have joy. Not happiness necessarily, but joy. We can be okay in the midst of the struggle because we serve this God who is faithful, who has made promises to us that one day he will fulfill, that will meet every desire of our heart that we've ever had. And he says, I'm not asking you to take him out of the world. Why? Because he has work in the world for us to do. Because he has things for us to, to, to be a part of. He didn't just save you and take you to heaven because there's a plan here. Because this is purpose. Because that thing that we're seeking, that purpose, is right here for now. Verse 16. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world, and for their sakes I sanctified myself, so that they, may, so that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. It's God's word. It's his truth that sanctifies us. To be sanctified, to render or acknowledge, to be venerable or hallow to separate from profane things and dedicate to God, consecrate things to God, dedicate people to God, to purify, to cleanse externally, to purify by expiation, free from the guilt of sin, to purify internally by renewing of the soul. And we are sanctified by the truth of God's word. It's God's word that comes in, that takes us out of this world that, that makes us no longer conform to the patterns of this world. It's the renewing of our mind. It's the application of new information, God's truth into our lives that begins to bring deep and enduring change in our lives. It's that thing that sets us free, right? For you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's, it's these things that we have. It's these things that God has given I'm not asking on behalf of these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be in us so the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I also have given to them so that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and you loved them just as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am so that they may see my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. So this idea of unity, that this prayer of unity is, is this prayer that, that Jesus prays out and makes request to the Father that his church would have unity, that we would be a unified bunch. What does it mean to be unified? What does it mean to have unity? Does it mean that we agree on every point of doctrine? 
I would hold no. But there is doctrine that we must agree on. To have unity within the church, there is basic core doctrine that is not up for debate. The reality of of who this God is, that, that he's the creator of all things, the reality of Jesus and who he is, that he's the, he's the savior, that he's the redeemer, the, his, his entrance into this world, his ministry, the cross, his resurrection. These things are things that, that, that are not up for debate. Certainly there are things within Christianity and, and, and Christendom that, that aren't issues of salvation, but the doctrinal issues of salvation those are what bring us real unity. That we can be unified as, as a group, even if we don't agree. Because being unified doesn't mean that we agree on everything. It means that we make a decision to stay together, even though there are points of disagreement among us. See, this is the problem with some of the church. It's why everybody looks at the church and says, how come there's so many different denominations and things, Right? Well, it came from division within the church, right? And it came from doctrinal issues where people said, no, we're going to be this church that has this doctrine and this doctrine. And to some degrees, that, that, that's okay. There are, there are those who would claim and call themselves Christian, even churches today, that we cannot have unity with because they don't fundamentally believe the foundational doctrines of Christianity, right? But every week, every Wednesday morning right here at church, the pastors of the community, the Pastors United in Christ group gathers right here, and we get together, and we fellowship, and we love each other, and it's a good time, and it's a blessing to our community because I believe it's so important in the spiritual realm that the spiritual leaders of the community gather together to pray and have a relationship. But you know what? We don't agree on every point of, of doctrine out there but we do agree on what is foundational and what is the most important. So unity. So we we can have unity within the church, and then there are things, there are places where honestly, we just really cannot have unity. But within the church, Jesus has called us to have unity. And I'm really thankful for you guys and your attitudes even through a difficult season because I believe that you chose unity over being right on some personal levels, maybe on some different things and different decisions. And that was really good because that kept us unified and that has, has been a, an answered prayer that Jesus prayed. What a, what a cool thing. So, verse 25, Righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you. And these have known that you sent me, and I have made your name known to them and will make it known, so that the love which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So sometimes it's, it's kind of hard to, to disseminate some of this stuff. So I brought, I brought some visuals. I thought, well, let's look some of this stuff over. You know, we, we see in the Bible, we see very clearly it says that if you're in Christ, then you're, you're in Christ. And guess what else? Christ is in you. So am I in Christ or is... Christ in me? And the answer to that is yes, right? That it's kind of like this. Like if we looked at these, um, this was a cool little analogy that uh, Pete Briscoe had. 
you know, we could say that these are both kind of created out of the same stuff, same material, right? And that at the point in time that we bow the knee to Jesus as we, as we give uh, to Jesus our lives and we, we, we ask for his forgiveness and his restoration and for him to forgive us of sins, it says that the Holy Spirit comes into us and, and lives in us and, and we become in Christ and Christ is in us. And so this picture is, are we in Christ or is Christ in us? And the answer to that is yes. We are completely enveloped, both in and out, around, in him, he in us, us in him. This is who we are. This is who we've become. We're completely and totally enveloped in the nature of who Christ is. We're, 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 we're with him. And we're in the Godhead. So if you think about us a bit, and, and, and just this, <clears throat> this idea of, and, and look this prayer over a little bit, it says that for our point of origin that we came from, the Father and the Son and their, their creative efforts and the Spirit, that, that they were co-creating, that the Father created and created all things through the Son, and that he's the begotten of the Father. He's, he's not created, he's begotten. He's of the exact same essence and nature. And so we have the Father and the Son and the Spirit, and we have us. And when we say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and, and indwells us. And he comes into us. And he becomes the guarantee for us. He becomes the seal of, of our redemption. And he's the very thing that we know that God is coming back for us because God cannot deny himself and he will come back for that thing, which is the guarantee of our salvation, which is the Holy Spirit. And so, so in us, the Holy Spirit begins to dwell. But think about this, this prayer and some of the things that go into this. It says in verse 22 that the glory, this is Jesus talking, the glory which you have given to me, I also have given to them that they may be one just as we are one. So the Father gives to the Son glory, and the Son has given glory to us. It goes on to say in verse eight, for the words which you gave me, I have given to them, and they have received them, and truly understood that I came forth from you and believed that you sent me. For the words which the Father has given the Son, remember Jesus' ministry, I'm saying the things that the Father is saying, right? Verse 14, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not in the world, just as I am not in the world. Work. Verse 4, I glorified you on the earth, this is Jesus, by accomplishing the work which you have given me to do. Verse 20, I am not asking on behalf of these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word or their work. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, right? Jesus set out on a mission to save the world and then pass the work on to us, the church, right? Go to all the nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And finally, love. Verse 26 
and I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And so the Father has loved the Son. In verse 26, and I will make it known so that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. And so we are sealed with this. We're sealed in, this, in the spirit. And we have these things. We have this position. We have this place with Christ. And we are placed in the Son. Right? And the Son is in the Father. And this is the normal condition of the Christian is that we are brought into this Godhead. That this is, this is who you are. This is the answer to all of those questions. Origins, where did we come from? We came from a loving God who chose to create you on purpose, created you uniquely and individually. There's never been another you and there never will be another you. You've been uniquely and on purpose created. Identity. We've been adopted into God's family. If you're in Christ, you've been adopted in. You've been given a new name even, a new identity, a new position that one day God will reveal. But your identity now is that you are perfectly, positionally perfect in Christ, that you're holy, blameless, and beyond reproach, right? That you've been purchased, not with cheap stuff like gold and silver, but with the precious blood of the lamb that you've been bought. A huge dowry has been given on your behalf so that you might be the bride of Christ. You've been given purpose. Matthew 28, we're supposed to go. We're supposed to be, as we go, we're supposed to be making disciples. We're supposed to be making famous this God. We're supposed to be glorifying him and making him famous to the world around us. And then destiny. We have security. Our destiny is with him, that one day the greatest promise that God has for us is that he will hold us eternally secure in a place of absolute perfection and love. So this is a prayer of the dance of the Trinity, each deferring one to another, each giving and sharing, each unique yet unified, diversity brought into perfect unity. We've been bought into this relationship. We've been given the answers to existence. We are seated at the right hand of power in Christ right now. This is where you are. If you're in Christ, he is seated right now at the right hand of the Father. Victory is won. We do battle from this identity and from this position. We have had the name and eternal life revealed to us. We've had authority delegated to us. We've had glory revealed to us. We've had joy imparted to us. We've had love lavished upon us and unity prayed over us. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this day. We thank you that you have loved us, that you have brought us into this mystery of the Godhead, that you gave and gave and gave that the Father has given the Son, that the Son has given the Spirit, that the Spirit has given gifts, and that as men, we are to give your love and to use those gifts into the world around us to accomplish the work that you have given us the privilege 
to join with you in. So Lord, we just thank you that we would rightly understand who we are and what position we have, that we are yours, that we have been brought in, that we have been purchased, that we have been loved, that we have lavishly been given more than we could ever ask for or understand or, or imagine. So Lord, we are grateful. We are a grateful people for all that you've done for us. We're thankful that you've loved us. We're thankful that you've known us. We're thankful that you have revealed the name to us, that you've given salvation, that you purchased us, Jesus, with your own blood. So Lord, we just ask this day that as a response to that, that we would do the reasonable thing, that we would begin to live our lives in a way that brings you glory and honor and praise, that many might come to know you, that you would be made famous in the world around us, not because we're good, not because we know anything, but because you do, because you're the one who's worthy of all praise, all glory, all honor, and it is in your mighty name, Jesus, that we pray, amen.